out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the guitarist and songwriter. It is, it is Crispin Gray. Best known for the bands Daisy Chainsaw and also Queen Adrena. He is currently still making music with various other people, which we'll find out more about in this interview. So anyway, after several minutes of casual chat that gets edited out, we got down to that very exciting subject that was the early formative years. Crispin, it's going to be all over to you. Well, I suppose it was my sisters. I've got two older sisters, and so I just started listening to what they had. Um, and I remember in particular, one of them had Inner Visions by Stevie Wonder. Right. Which I still still listen to occasionally because I think it's a fantastic album um, from beginning to end. And uh, and one of them had some, some old Rolling Stones. I mean, when I say old, I mean 60s Rolling Stones. Um, I remember she had like, I can't remember what, what album or what it was, but, but um, so I, would, I kind of got into that, 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 and, and then, uh, and then I, then somehow I ended up seeing some clip of, old black and white clip of the Kinks um, doing, I think it was all day and all the night, I think. Right. And I don't, know, I don't know what it was from. It was, it, it was like some, I don't know if it was a documentary or something or what it was, but, um, and they had, they had the, the red velvet, jackets with sort of lace cuffs and things yes. and I remember really being quite mesmerized by the, by the, the paradox of, of this the sort of dandyish look but with this kind of violent you know dun, 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 kind of music going on underneath and and that that really sort of struck me I remember and that, yes. that was kind of that was one of those moments where I thought oh I, I, I kind of quite fancy the idea of doing this <laughs> yeah. well it was quite interesting because I don't know I mean I didn't see it at the time but I saw it decades later and probably quite recently there was an amazing documentary on Rod Stewart before he was even kind of famous being a mod walking around London in in with a black and white film and I always wondered how and why they they did this kind of little film and in fact not only you know did it must have must have cost a bit of money he was a complete unknown but you know he was Rod the mod back then wasn't he yeah he did a bit of a yes yes I've seen pictures of him and and the, the, the other odd thing about him is is that the picture I saw of him because I was surprised when I saw some picture of him as you know, the mod with everything perfect, the hair perfect, but he had a beard. And I thought it was really weird to sort of have this kind of perfect mod haircut, but with a beard. Yeah. That was, I thought that's really strange. I've never seen that done before. I'm not sure I liked it very much. No, it doesn't work at all. But I either. guess he didn't either because he didn't, he didn't wear that very long. Well, I think he, he had a bit of a sort of a, a beatnik hippie period and a bit of a mod period. So I can't remember which one came first, but obviously he was experimenting as everyone did. Yeah, his. maybe the crossover, I don't know. <laughs> the crossover period, the yeah, bad really. period. So then, in the early seventies, obviously you were you're just roughly my age. Did you? When did you start sort of wanting to play guitar and sort of play instruments? Actually, I was relatively late. I think by a lot of people's standards, I don't think I even picked one up until I was sixteen. Um, no, I don't think I did because the the only real interest I I had in in music prior to that actually was was drums. Right. 
Um, and uh, but I, again, I think it was it was it was the things I just mentioned that kind of made me think, oh yeah, you know, maybe playing guitar would be cool. Yes. Were um, your parents were your parents very bohemian and sort of um, well, creative? Both my parents were actors. Uh, That's um, pretty bohemian, isn't it? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and my mother, in particular, was on the West End and all that kind of stuff. Um, and my father would then became a stage manager, but he was, although he never learned to play an instrument, he was very musical and he had a shitload of records and although mostly classical in jazz, right. he, wasn't, he wasn't into rock music at all, but, um, but he did have a load of records a lot. So it made, so he played music a lot. So I, if I have, if I have any musical talent at all, uh, which is arguable, um, I, I probably got it from him. Yes, absolutely. And and on your cousin, you've got this cousin, haven't you? Or is it an uncle? Isn't John Gray? Uncle. He actually great uncle. He was great my great uncle. uncle. So yeah. was this the the inspiration of um, Oscar Wilde's? Uh, well, you know, it's an interesting story with that because uh, for a long time they weren't sure for certain whether or not he was the inspiration for Picture of Dorian Gray. The people said that he must have been because he called. John, my uncle, he, he, he apparently called him Dory. Right. Uh, so, and, and they didn't have a very, I don't think, I'm, you know, not a very long time together, I don't think. But anyway, um, but then not that long ago, they found some letters or something, I think it was a letter or something that, that was written by Oscar Wilde to somebody. And it, it sure enough, it's he says in it that the idea for, picture of Dorian Gray came from John Gray. I mean. So it's, it's pretty much that's it, you know, they know that he certainly was thinking about him. So was he quite and, a dandy? Uh, well, he was, he was a poet, John Gray, at first. Um, and uh, it, there was, it was him and, and he knew obviously Oscar Wilde and, and um, what's his face, I can't remember now, but the other guy that became Oscar Wilde's boyfriend, whose father got really upset. Who, who, what the hell was it? Was it Lord Alfred Douglas or something? Yes, Bosey. Bosey. Yeah. That's, that, that's the one. Yeah, so he, he knew him as well and a few other people of that time that were poets, etc. cetera. Um, yes. And then oddly enough, eventually he ended up, ended up becoming a priest uh, and is buried somewhere up in Scotland, I think, or, or north of England, or something like that, wow. uh, at, his, at his church, which I've never been to. But um, fair enough. But anyway, yeah, that, that's that's the story of him. So things to do when you get older: visit graves. To be honest, <laughs> last last week I went to visit the grave of um, Elizabeth Smart, who wrote the, wrote the book. I sat down oh, yeah. at Central Station and wept, or something like that. Which Morrissey from the Smiths quoted a lot of her sort of lyrics or right, her right. lines. She lives in. She was buried in Suffolk, and I, you know, my parents lived there. So I thought, well, right. a nice afternoon. Let's do that. But then, right. So, so did punk come into your orbit at all? Were you a bit too yes. young for punk? Oh yes. No, 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 no. I mean, I was a little bit too young for it to, to be there properly. You know, when it all kicked off. So, but I do remember being aware of it. Um, and I did actually end up buying a Sex Pistols record. I wish I could say it was Never Mind the Bollocks, but it wasn't. It was actually a sort of compilation called Flogging a Dead Horse. Or yes, I, I bought that as well. Yeah. 
I bought that. Yeah, you know, with the girl on the front, you know, she had an ice cream in her hand or something. Yeah, it was um, that one. But it did, it did yeah. have Stepping Stone and yes, certain, it did. certain yeah. other tracks, which... Um, yeah, it, it also had um, uh, Sid Vicious doing uh, something else. Right. And I actually really liked his version of it. I really liked it. Yes. Um, I'm but sure. uh, yeah, I do remember, I, I do vaguely remember, and I did actually see The Clash back then. I saw them in, and it must have been their last tour, because oddly enough, um, it's possible that the guy they had on drums was possibly the very last one they had, who was Pete Howard, who ended up playing drums in a band I was in, not that well, now about 10 years ago, called Queen Adrena. Oh. And, and I asked Pete, you know, I, I saw you wherever it was, such and such, but he couldn't remember if that was him or not. He couldn't remember the gig. Yes. So we don't know for certain, but it could have been him. Was he on the album Cut the Crap? Uh, no, because that, that, that I think on that album, they didn't use a live drummer. Jesus, it was that bad. He wasn't was it? in the band at that time, I think. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't a great album, though I do like one single from it. So then, look, 79, Thatcher gets in, which is always fascinating. And then, you know, the, the 80s are here with a huge amount of unemployment. Now, a lot of bands that I've interviewed during that period all were on Job Seekers Allowance and Enterprise Allowance schemes and, and had that one year where they could just scrounge the doll, basically, and, and form a band. What happened to you in the 80s, especially the early 80s? Uh, not much. <laughs> I, can't, I didn't do anything like that. Um, uh, I mean, I did end up being an adult later on, but um, uh, I just, I guess I learned to play the guitar, I suppose. Yes. And then eventually I, you know, I guess it must, was it 88, I suppose, is when I finally decided to try and put a band together. And it was the bass player who actually never ended up doing a gig with this, but a very good friend of mine to this day, uh, and he suggested we find a female vocalist because I already had a bunch of songs written, but I've got quite a high-pitched voice. So he said, oh, we should get a girl to sing these. Um, and I, I, it never occurred to me to do that, And but we did. And we, so we put an advert in the Melody Maker and the very first person we met was Katie, who ended up being the singer for Daisy Chainsaw. Yes. And were you, because during that sort of time, you know, being the punk and then the post-punk and then for me, you know, indie pop was, you know, 83 to 87, which is the years of the Smiths, let's face it. Um, which, <laughs> but then there was a kind of, that, that kind of, as you probably realise yourself, that, that you get scenes, don't you? And you have that honeymoon period where it's really good and then it sort of dies. And then the next wave of 16 to 18 year olds come along and they want their band. So when the Smiths broke up, that did feel like, a period had sort of moved on and then we had ecstasy and the dance world had started to emerge with sort of bands yeah, like I remember you know, that yes remember and, that. and there was definitely like a lot of the bands I've interviewed it was like what happened why did you finish this like well by the third album to be honest no one was interested in any, any interested in us anymore so that was kind of a reason to break up and also you know they you know people say you know dance music is where it's at and it's like god we're just indie kids we're not going to do dance music so there was a there was a lot of bands that kind of finished at that point but then obviously you started around that period where there was all that north london scene of people like um, my bloody valentine and silverfish and the faith healers so yeah. were you sort of picking yeah. up on those kind of scenes um well i, I guess not consciously, of course, but I guess I guess we were. I mean, we played with um, the Faith Healers a couple of times, at least, if not more. 
um, before we had it, you know, before we had our hit, you know, um, I remember them very well. And, uh, and I remember the Sil Silverfish very well, um, uh, because I, I still know Fuzz, the guitarist to this day. Oh yes, Fuzz. Really nice bloke. And, um, so uh, yeah, I, I suppose we were, there, there's quite, quite a few other bands. I don't know if you remember a band called The Telescopes. I remember they were around at the time. And Loop. Uh, yeah, yeah, oh, I, I saw them. They were probably the loudest band I've ever seen. <laughs> even yeah. then, you know, I mean, I was young and I was, but even then I was thinking, oh my God, this is bloody loud, you know, and I like to play loud. Yes. Nice, they were loud. Yeah. Uh, but I remember seeing them and, uh, and then also some bands maybe you haven't heard of. There was another band called Beef. I don't know if you've heard of them. They were around at the time. Um, I had a girl singer. But anyway, yeah, sorry, I've kind of gone off the plot. Yeah, well, I suppose it was kind of interesting because you get those little, because there'd been bands like Huskadoo and Big Black and then Sonic Youth and the Swans and yeah. the Butthole Surfers, and they yeah. came along. And I thought they were amazing, but they weren't going to have huge hits. And it was like, oh. it wasn't like 89 when Nirvana brought out Bleach. It was kind of when they brought out Nevermind that things really opened yeah, up into it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, grunge and stuff like that. So did you you know, having to navigate that period? Because I know there were certain bands that came along where like the Sundays suddenly appeared. And it was like, yeah. I know they were still quite a big, but there was almost like, God, that party's kind of finished. <laughs> it's like, but you know, that's a bit of a sweeping statement. But I, I just remember thinking, God, a few years ago, that would have been brilliant. But you know, you've slightly come along when it's, it's, it's changed a bit really, hasn't it? Yeah, I guess so, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, so you're asking, yeah, I suppose it was just when you, when you were starting to sort of form the band and, and creating the sound, whether you were that influenced and aware of all the other scenes, that was kind of right. I actually, you know, when, when, I, when I, the things I was writing, I wasn't actually that aware. Uh, I wasn't at all. I, I was writing really in, in, in a way that I, I thought was sort of like I thought I thought I was writing in a kind of early Rolling Stones, early Who sort of way. That's what I thought I was doing. Um, except I did, I had been in very, very one. One of the major things I was influenced by with with bands like the Stooges and the Sex Pistols was their guitar sound, um, and, and so I was trying to get that kind of, particularly Steve Jones' guitar sound, which I really liked. Yeah. And I was sort of trying to get that kind of distorted, kind of razory distorted sound. Um, but no, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I mean, we were certainly aware of, certainly when Nirvana came out with Nevermind, definitely, I remember being very aware of that. Um, yes. And because I, I remember we're both with, we, actually, it's interesting, with, with Silverfish and the Faith Healers, they both had fantastic lead singers, didn't they, who were both women? Yeah. Yeah. And then you also had this very striking sort of front woman as well. And, yeah. and sort of looking at a lot of bands over the decades, and you probably do still, you know, the lead singer is so important to bring a band together, really, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, yeah, I know that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I mean, everyone is important, and you'd be amazed. Just you know, 
how important the other members actually are. And it's and I, I have to say, in, in the drummer and bass player in particular, their defense, I mean, drummer and bass player of any band, we're not just talking about Daisy Chainsaw, but, but they're also massively important in ways that people don't really realize. Uh, very often, a lot of singers don't realize how important they are. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, without, if you're gonna have a singer, you gotta have someone with some kind of personality or something going on, you know? Yes. It's, it's, it's pretty difficult <laughs> without that. You. I mean, obviously, it's like you don't go to, well, you do now probably go to college to write songs, but did you find sort of bringing music together and actually creating a song quite an amazing experience? When, when it actually came together and I felt it was working, yes. Oh, absolutely. I still do. I still definitely still do. I mean, uh, yes, if, if, if you actually try and write something and, and then you actually play it with some other people and you think, actually, this doesn't sound half bad. This is kind of more or less what I was hoping it would even if it's not what you imagine but it it's, comes out in a way you think oh this is quite good yes it's it's one of the main reasons for doing it in the first place really you know yes and did you manage to sort of one of the things that sort of trip bands up is is kind of the excess of kind of the you know drinking and stuff like that did you manage to sort of navigate that kind of world okay or was that kind of one of the issues i'm still struggling with that one now that's that's a difficult one that i think is very uh, I mean, to, to be fair to Daisy Chainsaw, we weren't we weren't drug takers. We were not um, at all, really. I, I remember the only time I ever tried during that band, I had one of the worst nights of my life. I, I'm not good on the, let's just say, uh, hallucinogenics. I'm not, I'm not very good on it at all. I, they, they, they freaked me out. And so, but, but we, we certainly drank, definitely, yeah. Um, it's very difficult not to, you know, because it's, it's, if you have any, any kind of taste of successful, it's, whilst in one way it's great, in another way it piles on the pressure, you know, so it's, and, and certainly booze has always, already, always been kind of put in front of you, practically now most of the time. Yes, it's, it's just kind of, you know, in the last six months, was it the guy from The Senseless Things kind of passed away, didn't he? And, and Mark, other yes, I knew him very well. Yeah, yes. we played with him recently. I was very sorry about that. Very that's sorry. Quite something. And then, you know, sort of members of Smash also look quite sort of wrecked, and these animal men also have a sort of look of, blimey, that, that was kind of a, quite a, a rough time in a way. I, I, I haven't seen those guys. I did, I did play with uh, the guy from Smash, a few years back, uh, it must have been about six, maybe six years, maybe seven years ago, something. But he yeah. looked all right then, but I haven't seen him since, so I don't know. I don't know I've done an interview with him, and he, he, you know, I don't know. He sounded like things have been rough, which is never good. So when you bought your first EP out, Love, Sick, Sick Pleasure, that kind of escalated the band very quickly. I mean, is, is it quite frightening when you, when you have that sort of success after probably wanting success and then think, oh my God, it's kind of happening? Uh, it, 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 no, it was great in one way. I mean, it was fabulous. I mean, and it was really, you know, quite a shock because um, especially at that time, you didn't get bands making the kind of records that was that that would, would go up in the national charts you know i mean it was a ridiculous stupid novelty song in a way but uh i can say that because as i wrote it you know <laughs> so it's okay for me to say that um but it 
So it was, yeah, it was quite a shock because funny enough, I remember when, when we first did it, we didn't even have a record label. We were, all we had was, we were with a publishing company called London, which no longer exists. And when they first heard it, they hated it because they had given us just enough money to go and record it. They didn't like it at all. They wanted it to be remixed. And they said that the bass guitar was too loud and you wouldn't even be able to master it and all this, of course, which was bullshit. And then once it became a hit, they sent us champagne and flowers and they tried to sign us to the record label and we said, no way, go away. Um, uh, but uh, so it was a surprise. It was a surprise. And in a way, thinking back, it was a bit too, probably too soon. Um, yes. I think especially for our singer, she was not prepared or ready for that at all. She didn't realize that, I think she thought that we had, produced it in such a way that there was no way it could become a hit, you know, because it was quite sort of a funny kind of sound and it had this ridiculously distorted bass, you know, that, that had this little solo moment, you know, and she, and she, I think she thought that there was no way that was going to become a hit and then suddenly it was, you know, a national hit. Um, and I don't think she was ready for it at all, in mm. particular. I think the rest of us definitely were, but the, of course the focus, the spotlight was on her. Yes. So it was a lot harder for her than the rest of us. You know, we could just stand there and play if we wanted to. We didn't have to necessarily, you know, perform, but she had to. And so, or felt she had to anyway. And uh, so I, it was very, it was very difficult for her. And I think that's why she couldn't stick it. And, and that's why she left. Yes, because it's interesting because I've, you know, over the years I've watched lots of kind of Morrissey interviews from his early years, especially not so much his later ones for obvious reasons. Um, but it seemed like for him, he the one thing that he wanted when he was in his little bedroom in Manchester was stardom. You know, and he loved it, didn't he? You know, it was everything he ever wanted. So did you did you sort of feel with your, you know, with Kate that um, it wasn't quite what she'd expected? Uh, yes, uh, I, I don't think she didn't. I mean, I don't think she didn't want stardom. I don't think she was prepared for it to come at her like that. I don't think she thought, like I said, that, it, that we were going to get hits. I don't think she thought there was a hope in hell that we were. So I don't think she was really worried about that until it happened. And then I think she was quite shocked. And I don't think that's how she wanted it to happen. Yes. I think she didn't want it to be like that with, with these kind of ridiculous songs I was writing, like Love Your Money. You know, I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of, like I say, it's, it's, it's sort of a novelty song in a way. Um, and, 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 and so she was suddenly thrust into the limelight singing this song written by somebody else, you know, that was kind of stupid in a lot of ways, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think she, that's not how she saw how she would become, you know, as successful, not, not like that. Yeah. So, and then you signed, was it, you had an offer with Madonna's label, but you went with one little, little Indian. Yeah, we did. We had an offer from yeah them and also uh, a couple of other majors, Epic, Sony, I think, um, Interscope. In uh, fact, it was it was Nigel Harrison from Blondie. He was the A and R man at Interscope at that point, um, and so he and I, I remember, met up and and he was very nice. And, and um, but and I I would have gone with them, but but again, but Casey wanted to have as much artistic control as possible. So yes. one that leaned in with the only ones that were really would allow us to, 
to sort of make the, 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 the ensuing noise that we did, yeah. whereas the other labels wanted to be able to say who was going to produce it and so on. Because was, so was, was it Chumbawamba who signed to One Little Indian around that time? They and were, then they were, yeah, Chumbawamba were, were on One Little Indian, and then they got dropped and then immediately had their big, huge hit. Oh, that's the way round. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. the way. And One Little Indian didn't get the didn't get the advantage of that. No. I don't, I don't no. know who, who they were on when they had that, but it wasn't One Little Indian. I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. No, they signed they, to EM. They signed to EMI and then yeah, had the big yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. But it was yeah, One Little Indian, which I think had all those kind of very quirky bands like Bjork on and yeah. Was it the Flux of Punk Pink Indians? Flux of Pink Indians. Yeah, yeah. All those kind of bands which were quite yeah. good because the other thing that i sort of found and realized is that during that time there were the gatekeepers we had in this country which made life slightly in well not better but it was in a way easy you know you had three weekly music papers and then you had you know be people like john peel and there was other djs as well but obviously john peel was quite a major one and every small every town and city in the country had an alternative indie night which kind of helped bands get out there and play to a wider audience so in a way, sort of speaking to a lot of American artists, they, they often say, my God, you had three weekly papers. We just had monthly magazines, which, you know, getting in, into one of those is quite tricky, whereas, you know, people want content and you can just kind of get kind of known in, a, in this country very quickly. And you sort of then went on tour with Mudhoney, didn't you, quite soon? Um, the... No, we did one, we only did one gig with them. We went on tour with Hole. Right. Yeah, we did one gig with Mudhoney. In fact, I think maybe Hole also were on that bill. I think maybe it was Daisy Chainsaw, Hole and Mudhoney, I think. God, but then we did a tour with, with Hole. Right. And that must have been... And had they had their big album out by then? No, no. This was when they had they had Pretty on the Inside. Right. Was so it, things were just... Was it Pretty on the Inside? Yeah. Yeah, I think... Yeah. 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 But yeah, so we, the, the biggest venue we did with them was the London show, which was at Yulu. Uh, you know, University of London, yeah, uh, uh, which is you know relatively, you know, I mean, by standards of what Hall became, it was relatively small. It was only like six, six, maybe, may, I don't know, maybe eight hundred tops. Yeah, I saw. Um, I think I saw the Young Gods there once many years ago, with Silverfish supporting them, which was quite a ah, double bill. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. So, what's your memory of the album? Every good boy deserves fudge. Uh, remind me, every good boy deserves fudge. Remind me who that is. That was oh no, that's Mud Honey. Jesus Christ, sorry. <laughs> that was that was the support band. That was their release. Actually, you did um eleven teen. Oh you? right, that. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh right, sorry. Yeah, every boy. Yeah, I did. I didn't know that was Mud Honey. I just couldn't remember which band it was. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, eleven teen. Yeah, well. By then, uh, we really did go down this path of noise, uh, you know, and it, it, it was, it's funny, I remember right after we released that, uh, we, we met up with a, a journalist called Mick Mercer. Oh, yes, Mick. Um, a famous. Yeah. And uh, and he kind of looked at us and said, "What the hell did what, what have you done? You know, why did you do that?" Talking about our album, and I knew what he meant. I knew exactly what he meant, um, and I, I tried to sort of defend it. But I knew what he meant. I mean, because we we just Casey wanted all the vocals to be covered in distortion, and everything was just 
you know, you could barely hear that I've written any songs. There actually are some songs on it, but you have to listen quite carefully to decipher that. Um, again, I, th I think it was a result, a result of the fact, like I say, I think she just was, was really shocked by, by Love Your Money being a hit. And then I think everyone expected we were going to do an album that would have at least one or two or three, hopefully more songs like that. But we went, it was just bordering on, on total noise where, where you, mm. know, you could barely hear a song. And, and that, that really sort of, you know, we, we were kind of, um, well, as, as, as our bass player at the time used to say, we were pissing on our chips. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my memory of it. Yes. And then, I mean, was, what was the dynamic of the band? Was it really struggling at that stage? Yes. Yeah, we did. We, we did, went off and did an American tour uh, and, and Japan and, and the rest of Europe and all of that. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we in particular, I won't say who, but some of us were barely talking to others. Right. You needed band therapy, didn't you? Yeah. Band therapy would have helped. We did. Yeah, we did. The only person really who, who was able to help at all in that department was, oddly enough, um, our, our sound guy, who, who also was the producer for the album, who's a really good guy. And but by the way, before I forget, I don't mean to suggest that, 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 that the way the album sounded was, any, was, was anything to do with, with him. I'm talking about a, a producer called Ken Thomas. Right. He's great. He's fabulous. He ended up doing Ziggurat and and an album with Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode and so on. But uh, it, it, he did whatever we wanted, which was brilliant because it was actually difficult to find producers that would do that. But but he was the only one that, that was able to sort of talk sense to us, and he was he he kind of was probably without him. I'm not sure we would have even managed to do the American tour. Yes, because that's, that's the one thing that often a lot of bands have, have often said when, you know, sort of talking about them finishing, it was like they mentioned, you know, there's a period of time, it's like normally five years, you know, a band gets together, they have that 12-month honeymoon period, you know, yeah. they make a single, John Peel plays it, they get a John Peel session, and then yeah. the first album thing's going well, the tour around the country, the second yeah. album, a bit tricky, and then they often say, oh, we toured America, and then we broke up. So how did you find the American experience? I, I loved it. I mean, I thought, I mean, because I, I loved touring. Uh, I mean, uh, the high point was Japan, but America was still great. I mean, in particular, uh, I have to say, I suppose, not surprisingly, the bigger cities like, like um, New York was really good. In fact, funny enough, the Verve actually supported us in New York. Right. Um, and, and then we put in Dallas, which I was amazed by, I was thinking, oh my God, Texas, they're going to hate us. But no, Dallas was absolutely fabulous. It was great. And LA was brilliant. And it turned out years later, I found out that when we played in Los Angeles and it was at, we played at the whiskey, which is, you know, where the doors had played and all that, um, that there was someone in the audience called Marilyn Manson. Wow. He saw us, he saw us there at that gig. And I, and I know that he did because he, he he came up. This was years later at, at the Kerrang Awards, and and he said he said he said I know you, and he, and he described exactly what I was wearing, what I looked like at the time. And I was like, well, yeah, you're right. You did see me there. Yeah. So that I mean, mind you, maybe I shouldn't say that. I don't know where he's at now, you know. But um, <laughs> I don't know. But I recently did an interview with a member of the Glitter Band, and. Um, 
he was quite nice, you know, he, you know. Or which one? The drummer, I uh, can't remember his name. All right. You yeah, know. I mean, I don't, where, where, is, uh, where is Gary? Is he still out in Indonesia or where is he? No, I think he, he said, I think he's on a, in a prison in Isle of Wight, actually. Oh, no, is he really? Oh, is he? <laughs> okay. Right. okay, I thought he was still... Right. Okay. Like that, you know, because I think the Cherry Red Records just reissued the um, the Glitter Band. So um, I still think Rock and Roll Parts One and Two are classics, but um, yes. Oh, yeah, they're... I think. Oh yeah, I mean they're still good records. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, they are. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, they say Wagner was anti-Semitic. which maybe he was. I don't know, but uh, you know, doesn't mean his music isn't good. You know. I know some of us still have to listen to Morrissey and still think that's a bit tricky, but you know, there you go. It's bit... That one is difficult, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, boy, he doesn't make it easy to like him, does he? No, he um, really doesn't. But then, no. but you, 93 is a tricky one, isn't it? Because this is where you lose your singer. Yeah, that was tricky. Yeah, yeah, it was really tricky. We, we, uh, <sighs> Yeah, I mean, in a way, what we should have really done was just put the brakes on and, and think, okay, wait a minute, let's just stop here and think what we're going to do next. Um, but we didn't because we had American and follow-up American tours pending and so on and so on and so on. Uh, so we desperately tried to find another singer, and uh, we, we did, but it, but and nothing against her. She she tried her best. Yeah. Poor girl. But she had difficult shoes to fill, and and it, it wasn't easy. And and um, it wasn't that she wasn't a good singer; it's just that she didn't have the the experience as a performer, um, and certainly not with a band like us. So um, and so she left after about eight eight gigs or something. I mean, um, and that, and that was kind of it, really. I mean, you know, was it just a really uncomfortable period for the band, knowing how to navigate it? It's, you know, yes. I mean, what, what I mean, you know, I can't think of very many bands where they've lost a singer and got another one and it's carried on just fine, with the exception of ACDC comes to mind. Oh, you go, yes, I was just thinking, you know, it's like, you know, Jefferson wow. Airplane, not Jefferson Starship, but they were rubbish, weren't they? But they still had Grey Slick, Jefferson Starship. Oh, that's true. Yeah, oh, somehow you know. the eighties production was just not good. Yeah, that's that's yeah. I, I agree with you there. I know you're not wild about that, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they still had the. They still had the. And but, the ten uh, and the ten thousand maniacs were like still going, but there's like well, it's not got Natalie Merchant, has it? Oh, I didn't even know they changed singers. Yeah, she left after the last album in nineteen ninety, and then I think the rest of the band thought that was it, and then they obviously went. Actually, we we still quite like playing music, and we can get another singer, and we can become a a super tribute band. Well, no, that's unfair because they they are the original band, but without Natalie, with a different right. you know, vocalist, and you know they play those kind of places where people don't mind listening to them without Natalie Merchant, but the rest of the band are still with them. So, um, yeah, but no, you're right. There aren't that many. ACDC was the main one. I mean, who else, I suppose, uh, Van Halen managed it for a while with What's-His-Face, that guy who is not my my cup of tea, but what, mm. I can't remember his name now, but it wasn't David Lee Roth, who I thought um. was, well, I always thought it was hysterically funny, you know, and I thought without him, <laughs> forget it, you know. Yes. But they carried on with that other guy, his name I can't remember. 
but that oh. didn't really happen. So then did you have to sit down and sort of decide to call it a day with the with the band? Yeah, in a way, really. Yeah, we did we did sort of carry on for a little bit as a three-piece with me trying to handle vocals. I'm, but I'm I'm not I'm not a lead singer, not really, you know. I am I'm, I'm pretty I'm not bad as a backup vocalist, but I'm not I don't I just don't have the voice for a lead singer, I don't think. And it is tricky because I because you know, without I mean Johnny Marr. It's just not quite there, is it? I mean, your heart's got to be in it. You've got to want to be, I think. It doesn't really matter if you've got a good voice or not. In a way, that doesn't matter. But you've got to, you've got to, some part of you has to want to be there. You know, I don't want to be a lead singer. So I'm never going to sound like one because of that, I don't think. I think that's the main problem. And, I, and I'm not one of these, you know, I'm not like Jimi Hendrix where I'm such a fantastic guitarist that, that I can make that, that the, 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 the kind of soul focus and the vocals are fine to be secondary because because the instrument is so important. I'm not I'm not that good a guitarist. I'm not that incredible, you know. Because so, I think it worked for people like him, but um, but it has to be that way around. Yeah, it is strange. The Hendrix vocal is quite something. It's still so distinctive, but um, yeah, it is. I mean, I actually think he was pretty. He was pretty damn good, you know. And the the, the, the contrast between this his outrageous guitar and his extremely laid back sort of vocal was quite incredible, you know. It's quite shy, it's quite a shy vocal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's very sort of, you know, understated and even when he's saying foxy lady, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm coming to get you, you know, but it's like, he doesn't believe it like, yeah, I'm coming to get you, it's just like, yeah, hey, I'm gonna come and get you. I, th I think when he used to get recorded, he didn't want anybody to watch him because I think he just felt so insecure with it. So I don't blame him for that. And it, and it sort of comes over. But then what happens then for you for the rest of the 90s? Uh, well, uh, yeah, that's, I struggled on uh, until um, I ended up moving into the area where I am now still am and uh of london and uh and oddly enough as it happened casey from daisy chainsaw also lived in this area at that time and so we ended up kind of bumping into each other on the street every now and then and i was trying to put together another band i was thinking by thinking about it. i didn't have anybody i didn't have anybody i just was thinking well you know i don't want to stop doing music and i would say to her okay i'm, I'm you know yeah because she would say i'm doing this and I'm, I'm doing that and I would say, well, I'm thinking about putting together a new band. And one day she said, oh, okay, well, well I'll sing for it if you want. And, uh, <laughs> and I went, okay. And uh, that was it. So then we started a new band called Queen Adrena, which lasted for like 10 years or more. Yes. That's we quite... Trying to Warner Brothers and, and then to Rough Trade and then, and then one with Indian again and then eventually a label in Japan. Were you, are you surprised how long that lasted, that, that particular band? Well, in a way, yes, but in a way, no, uh, because the, the difference between that band and Daisy Chainsaw was that, that with Queen Adrena, we agreed that, that Katie would write her own vocal lines instead of me doing it. And I, 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 by that time, I sort of understood that that, that, that had been a problem for her, because on Daisy Chainsaw, I didn't, I didn't, didn't really think about it. I just thought, what, what's the problem? We've, we've got a hit. The formula seems to be working. I write the songs, you sing them. Great. What's the problem? But um, uh, so in Queen Adrena, I, I sort of recognised that she needed to ha be able to sing her own vocal lines. Um, 
and so in that way, it wasn't surprising that it lasted for a long while because I think she got to explore that end of it yes. in a way she wasn't able to with Daisy Jones. And she wasn't, you know, she didn't have to sing songs that she may have not liked or been embarrassed by or whatever. Uh, so, so in that respect, I, I'm not surprised it lasted as long as it did. Yes, um, and, had, and had the dynamic altered quite a bit because there had been a bit of a break. Had she, you know, did it feel a little bit more comfortable? Yeah, I guess so. I suppose, I mean, we still argued like a lot, <laughs> but actually we probably argued more in a way because then, because we were suddenly writing songs together, which we had never done in Daisy Chain. So I just came in and said, here's the song, learn it more or less. Um, so we probably did argue in, in more, but um, th that, that was why I said, Yes and no. Yes, because because she got the right on vocal lines, but no, because we argued a shitload. But um, so the dynamic had changed in that way because because you know uh, she wanted something else from the from the music than I did. So we were always kind of pulling in two different directions. I, I think in a way, Katie wanted to do something probably more like she's doing now, which is not something I've got nothing against it. It's just not something I I want to do. Yeah. So we were all kind of trying to trying to we were always trying to get these two different things to sit with each other and it was always very difficult because of that i always wanted to rock out in one way or another and she always wanted to try and do something more sort of i don't know atmospheric or something not, not, not that i dislike atmospheric things I, I, I love a lot of stuff like that and occasionally even myself I, I might try and go in that direction but i still even to this day, even even you know, even in my advanced years, but I still, I still, I still, you know, I still love loud music. I still love it to be loud and all that stuff, you know. Yes, coming in at three minutes and thirty seconds. Yeah, it's always important. Yeah. And what was it like working? And what was it like working with? Because Ken Thomas produced your first album, didn't he? Yeah, and then he then he ended up producing some of the stuff with Queen Adrena as well. Which must have been, yes, that was the, is it Taxidermy, which he did? Yeah, that's right, yeah, we did that with him, yeah. Mm -hmm. But then you did a follow-up one, Drink Me, which does feature on one of the producers, is Morgan Nichols, which, from the very things, the bass player, he went on to work with Muse, wasn't he? That's right, that's right, yeah, we, yeah, we recorded it with him, um, and then we took it out to Los Angeles, and uh, a guy called Peter Reardon, who had done... I think Insane Clown Posse or something, I think it was that, uh, mixed it. But we recorded it with Morgan, that's right, we did, yeah. Because Morgan was a friend of Pete Howard, uh, who was our drummer by that point in Queen Adrena. Right, and he was the guy who'd been in The Clash. That's right, uh -huh. yeah, Pete God, Howard. It all, it's, uh, the rock and roll, because actually Morgan's dad was quite a famous guy in the 60s, wasn't he? He'd also been working with members of, was it The Who? Or singing yeah. It's something like that, yeah, I can't remember now, but yeah, something, yeah. Also, it's funny because Morgan, of course, was in the census things with Mark, who we talked about earlier. Yes, which is tricky. I must admit, because this this decade is quite an, an, a bizarre one, really, isn't it? Because this is the world of people like, was it Marilyn Manson had sort of come along? We'd had the sort of the, the honeymoon period of the Britpop world and New Labour. So you were sort of in this next decade, you know, yeah. the, the millennia. What, did you sort of find it quite, comfortable decade to work in? Uh, well, it started out a bit tricky for us because um, because we ended up getting kind of thrown in with new metal. 
And uh, certainly on our first album, we didn't have much that sounded like that. So we ended up, it was quite, it was quite tough when we started. By the, that's kind of why the second album that we recorded with Morgan sounded the way it was. Because I, I was like, look, we, we, have to, we have to do something that's going to, that, that means we can compete with who we're playing with. Uh, so, so it was, it's a lot sort of rockier and, you know, kind of going for it and energetic and all that stuff. Um, because we, we were, we were supporting bands like, well, Marilyn Manson, obviously, and we, we did a tour with Incubus and these kind of acts and we played with Bush and all these kind of things and, and, and did it, we did a, a gig that was supposed to be with Nine Inch Nails, but it ended up being with A Perfect Circle and the Ash, uh, because, Sorry, I'm going to digress here for just a minute, but, yeah. but we, were, we were supposed to be with Nine Inch Nails, but they had been, the day before, they had played at uh, the Ross Gilder Festival where some people got killed because they got crushed at the front of the stage by the barriers. And they were so distraught by this that they cancelled. So the following day, it was, it, they didn't turn up. And Ash gallantly took took their place, but they were playing in front of a Nine Inch Nails audience and they, their audience went too wild about Ash. <laughs> it was very, very brave of Ash, but I, I felt sorry for them because, you know, yes, always... yes, I know, at the height of Nine Inch Nails, that must have been quite intimidating, really. Yeah, it must have been. So it was bloody brave of them to do it. Yes. So when you came to do your fourth album, the final one, uh, did you sort of feel that was going to be the end of the band? Was, you know, because a lot of bands often say, you know, there was a sense that this was going to be the last well um we never officially said that's it we're going to call it a day we never i don't think katie and i ever sat down and said right you know goodbye that's it over um but having said that i kind of knew because pete was was pete howard was out at that point i won't go into details of why um he's a great drummer um and i i, I enjoyed playing with him so much um but it was some personal shit between him and Casey. Uh, but uh, but it wasn't just that. It, well, actually, actually, maybe it was. A lot of it was that. But but also, I, I think in a way, we sort of had nowhere else to go. I think and it was kind of. I, I wasn't surprised uh, at all when Casey said she was going to go off and do whatever it was she was going to go off and, yes. and do. And I, I, I mean, I, I knew we ne- we didn't have to say to each other this is it. But I knew. And, and I didn't do anything to try and stop it because, like I say, it was really we were we were starting to sort of just go over the same ground, you know, and it wasn't progressing. Yeah, it must be quite difficult to keep the whole gig together. Did you manage to get good management at that stage? Were you sort of being able to sort of navigate that, you know, part of the? The last manager we had was Mark Vernon. He he was very good, um, good guy. Um, Management's tricky. <laughs> it's a difficult thing. <laughs> I've, I've had some good ones. I've had some not so good ones. Uh, in Queen Adrena, we had some not so good ones. We had some. <laughs> one, of, one of them is no longer with us, so I don't. I won't, don't want to speak ill of the dead. But uh, he, he was. A, he was. He, he handled some very big acts. Um, but he was. Boy, he was. A, I found him a very difficult person. Um, and the one before that was pretty tricky as well. We, we, we had the whole classic being ripped off of thousands of 
pounds and stuff, you know, this kind of stuff. We had all that sort of crap going on. So uh, does, does those experiences kind of rip apart about rip a band apart? I mean, I mean, it sounds obviously probably you would say definitely, but you know, just kind of dealing with the kind of disappointment of not sort of getting what you feel like you deserve. Um, in some ways, they can they can sort of bring you together, I suppose, because you at least you can kind of you know comfort each other because you've all been put in that position. You know, you've all been ripped off. Um, but I, it, it it was it, it was difficult. I mean, one of the one of them in particular, we were, we were on Rough Trade at the time, and we really liked the, the people at Rough Trade, Jeff Travis and Jeanette Lee. We really liked them. Um, in fact, it, it was them who even suggested the manager I'm talking about. Although they did say that that he, he might be weird in some way or other, but but it, they suggested him. Um, so or, or or backed up the idea of going with him. Um, but he he ended up taking us away from them, which we had no idea that's what he was doing. So these kind of things that that happen like that. Yeah, I mean, in a way, he he did contribute to us kind of collapsing. Yes, because your career is quite interesting in the sense you had that kind of period of the 90s and then this this kind of next period as well, which was kind of quite neat, isn't it? The sort of the O years. Did you then have a break from music when that, you know... That... After that, after, after Queen Adrena? Yes. Um, well, I've always carried on in one way or another. Um, so no, I, I, I guess I guess the answer is no. I didn't. Um, I, I um, no, no, yeah. I guess the simple answer is no. I've kept on, and still here I am, idiotically still still attempting. You know, in this day and age, and with, with the way it is now, you know. But 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 having said that, I say idiotically. I mean, it's idiotic because music industry always has been idiotic, and it still is. But but uh, it's it's just even more difficult now, you know, in, in some ways, because for obvious reasons, you know, it's just like anybody can, can you know, you, you can do a 24 track recording on your iPhone if you really want to, it's possible, you know. Yeah. Um, you don't even need any, you don't even need to go into a studio and record any real instruments and so on and so on and so on. So, um, you know, you're up against an, an even huger sea of people out there referring to themselves as musicians. And who got just as much right to refer to themselves as musicians as I do. I mean, nothing against them. So, so, yes. uh, so with your, because you've got a latest band, haven't you? So this consists of just two of you? Uh, well, the core of this is the two of it. Yes, it's two of us. It's, it's, it's me and who, and uh, who now has become my wife, Stasha Lee. Uh, she's from Portugal. Um, and she, we first met online. Um, uh, which I'm not, I'm not online very much. And at the time it was purely by chance that I was, cause I'm not much for one, you know, I'm, I'm not really into Facebook and all this stuff. I do have a Facebook page, but I, I I'm, I'm not on it very often. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, and she, she's an, an artist. And so I saw her, her work and I really liked it. And that's how we got, got talking. And uh, eventually I, I said, I've, I've got to come and meet you in person because I, I, I find it difficult to say I really know someone just through, you know, Skype or Zoom or whatever. Uh, and so I did and I went over to Portugal and eventually I convinced her to come back over here. 
and then yeah we we ended up yeah creating some sort of band uh which <laughs> is made, weird because she's was it not almost really, by accident in a way it almost was yeah almost was yeah because she's more of a visual artist really and a philosophy student because uh, she has a degree in philosophy and all that and so and so she's kind of more about those things i mean she likes music a lot you know she does uh but she wasn't really that aware of 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 where i was at or my stuff she was kind of um into other things but but uh but yeah we sort of put it together and, and here we are yes absolutely i mean what how was it for the last year being sort of in this lockdown period because i know a few artists actually most of them had a real bad time in the end i think initially some were like oh this is quite handy i know miles from the wonder stuff said oh this is quite good because i'd done all the work last year did the album did the tour was he planning to have last year off but then a lot of people just didn't sort of pick up a guitar and find it really difficult to get motivated. And other artists were planning to have a really busy year and then it got all cancelled, so they're devastated. How did yeah. you find year last, um, last 14 months? I, I can certainly imagine how, how difficult it must have been for a lot of people. Um, I certainly can, and I'm, I'm sorry for them, really, because I can... I, I, doesn't surprise me at all. If, you know, for instance, if, if this had happened right, right in the middle of me doing Daisy Chainsaw or Queen Adrena or something, it would have been devastating. It would have been absolutely devastating. Fortunately for us, it wasn't actually devastating. In a way, I think we needed to stop just constantly trying to play live. Um, although I, th I think that, that was live, we were pretty good. Uh, in, in my wife and Sophia Starsha Lee is, um, I, I think, is one hell of a performer. Um, so we were good at that, but we hadn't quite got down the recorded side of it. We hadn't quite figured out what the hell we, how we wanted it to sound and so on and so on. So actually for us, it turned out to be, at least at the beginning, not such a bad thing because we kind of needed to put the brakes on and be able to think about that and figure that out. Yeah. And we're still thinking about that and figuring it out. I, I, so for us, it's not such a bad thing, not wood, but um, but I, I, I do, I am starting to feel like, okay, the problem with it is, is it does kind of, yeah, mean that you have to motivate yourself with 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 nothing there to kind of push you you know so you 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 have to go okay i am going to get this finished by the end of this week or by the end of today or whatever you know and and because you don't have to be worry about figuring out what the set's going to be for your next gig or any of that stuff it's you have to create your own deadlines and you know and be disciplined to do it yourself and, that, and that's not easy it's not so so it's 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 a double-edged sword for us even although like i say for us it actually wasn't so bad to start out with yes no it must be i'm no having deadlines is bizarrely quite a good motivator really or it's yeah i mean it forces you to, it forces you to you know get on with it you know yeah Yes, and just and just for yes, just making sure that you eventually end up with a pro uh, product. Is it the case that you've got material that you're working on at the moment that you're yes. hoping to 
recording. Yeah, in fact, yes, in fact, in fact, we are going to release our, our first track on the 9th of July. I'm going to do a little plug here. It's called Killing Heteronomy. It should be, uh, I think Viva La Rock is going to premiere it. I don't know exactly where yet, but uh, I don't know if they're going to do it on Facebook or whatever. I'm not sure yet. But um, they said they would. I spoke to them recently because I did an interview with them recently as well. Um, so uh, let's let's see what happens, <laughs> and then we've got we're gonna after that we're gonna have some other things coming out, um, and eventually an EP or an album, depending on how many tracks we manage to finish in time. Yes, this is this is good. I mean, if it was something that you could have said to your sixteen or eighteen year old self starting out with the the experience and wisdom and and yeah, learning that you've had. Is there anything that you would have just wanted to have whispered in their ear, whether it might have been, yes, that's good, keep doing that, but, or think about doing uh, something? Yeah, yeah, probably, probably that I was a bit too rigid about things and I got a bit too worried about things that, that I can see now didn't matter so much. Uh, you know, maybe with Daisy Chainsaw, if if I if I had been able to say at the time, which really, to be honest, I think our managers should have done at the time, somebody older than I should have done at the time. But I, I would say, look, just just put the brakes on. Don't worry about the American tour or whatever. Just put the brakes on. If your singer's having a problem, sit down with it, figure out what to do about it, and let's see if we can sort this out. Yeah. I, I, I think I would have. I would say something like that to myself. Did you have but, to sort of have that conversation with Katie when you sort of got back for your, you know, the second band? No, because by that time I had already sort of realised that we, we couldn't just come out exactly the same again. So it was, something was going to have to be different. Otherwise, why would, you know, we might as well just remit, call it Daisy Chainsaw again and I'll start shoving my songs at her and she'll start singing them again. So yeah. I already knew that it was going to have to be different in some way. And I, I'd already guessed that that way it was going to be, she would, I would still write all the instrumentals part, which I did, but but she would have to come up with her own vocal lines, which she did. Yes. Well, I, I sometimes, you know, with those experiences, I, it's about sometimes taking that responsibility, isn't it? You know, and just saying, yeah, oh, yeah, various things yeah. that one did. And at the same time, not being the victim of the situation, which is quite interesting, because I think when you take ownership, you stop having that victim mentality. I'm not saying you did have victims. <laughs> mentality. No, no, but you're right. You're right. No, you're right. Yeah, that's it, more or less, in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, you got it. That's right. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, uh -huh. sort of, and then you can sort of move on. And often, you know, and obviously yeah. it's been quite amazing because there aren't that many bands who've had the same narrative of you as you with with you know having that relationship with katie and two different outfits no i guess not no i suppose not no yeah it's, it's, actually, quite, it's I, quite a unique thing and did you manage to archive you know because that's the great thing that's happened recently hasn't it everyone loves archiving their material have you did you manage to archive and keep you know a track of your sort of musical career uh only in my head <laughs> <laughs> No, other than that, no, 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 I've never, no. You wouldn't believe, no. how, many, you wouldn't believe how many books and films have been coming out recently on people writing their little memoirs and sort of documenting things, you know, from the most obscure little bands. Really? Yeah, like, um, well, even The Very Things, the guy from The Very Things, The Shend, brought out his book recently and Kirsty 
uh, Kristen Hirsch has just brought a book out. Oh, yeah. I mean, just everybody just seems to be, you know, when there was that film recently, The Nightingales, Robert Lloyd, um, King Rocker, that came out. Um, on yes, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, didn't, didn't, uh, didn't um, Stuart Lee have something to do with that? Stuart Lee sort of narrated it and told the story. And then there was, you know, films on the go-betweens and the chills and the dolly mixtures and, you know, the slits and, you know, it's it's just kind right. of interesting because that period of music, I suppose this happens with a lot of times, when it's happening, you just take it for granted and then yeah. you move on. And then years later, you sort of look back occasionally, you know, and sometimes it's, you know, through slightly like, oh my God, I don't want to look back. But then you do. And you think, actually, that's not too bad, you know, if you can drop the emotion away from it. And I think it's a lot of it is better than one remembered, actually. You kind of think, oh, it probably was all right. But then you think, actually, this is much better. Because there's a lot of bands that I've kind of read, well, not rediscovered, just discovered from the 80s and the 90s that I missed the first time which is kind of embarrassing to say, because you couldn't listen to everything that was coming out because there was so much. And you think, actually, this yeah. is really good. Yeah. But, you know, um, it's quite interesting, really. Yeah, I've, I've heard plenty of things back from that time that I didn't get to listen to, it, especially now, because I can listen to it for free if I want to. <laughs> you know, oh, and listen to lots of things. I think, oh, wow, this is actually pretty good, you know. Yeah. I know. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's why I was just wondering if you'd documented a lot of your stuff. and. Uh, no. No, never have. No, 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 never have. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I should, but uh, for me, I'm, I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not. Um, it's funny. Did, didn't Mick Jagger recently? Was it? Wasn't he going to like? Apparently, could do a book like Keith Richards had, and then yeah. he said, and then he dropped out of the idea and said, you know, I, I, something like, you know, I'm not ready to look back on it or whatever, or, or you know, or he just didn't want to look back on things, even though, you know. I, I'm not. I'm not at his stage of life yet. Uh, I, 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 I already sort of feel the same. I, I don't. I, I'm, I'm not done, you know. So I, I mean, why would I want to start looking back yeah. or write a book? I mean, not. Oh, that, no. But did you did you get a copy of the Mick Mercer book on the da Daisy Chainsaw? I think he's done a whole load of those, you know, phot photographic books, hasn't he? Has he? No, I had no idea. Oh, no, I, I didn't even know. No. Actually, I'll no. just see because I might, I might have got one here. Oh no, I no, I didn't know. No. Oh, these are the ones. Jesus, sorry, I should have been more rehearsed there, shouldn't I? But he brought out, he brought out these one. I think this is Mick Mercer. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I knew that he'd done some book about goth or something. Or... So there was all. So he's been bringing out all his books on that period. He did one on Bleach, which I bought, and then I didn't buy loads. And then they gave you know these ones, and I'm sure there's one on Daisy Chainsaw he did as well. No, oh, I didn't know. No, I didn't know about that. So he's yeah. obviously gone through and got all his negatives and went, oh, actually, I'll put some books out for ten pound or something. And I thought, oh, I hit buy. So there you go. So um, yes. Anyway, if you... I'll check that out. No, I didn't know he had, no. Yes. And I'm just, you know, if you go to his Facebook page, you can go to this link and then you'll see all these kind of literally hundreds of books on those bands from that period. And um, I oh. think, I'm pretty sure Daisy Chainsaw has definitely got one of them. I'll have a look. I'll have a look. Because I know he did, he did take a lot of pictures of Daisy Chainsaw. So yes. I, I will have a look. But that's great. Well, look, Crispin, thank you ever so much for this. And um, if you want, I can always send you the link and then you can always um, post it on your... Yes, you know. please do. Yeah, because I'll share it and all that crap, you know. Yeah.
I know that's a technical term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yes, no, that's absolutely fine. But look, thank you again for your time. And um, okay. yes, all the best for the future. And okay. um, yes, I hope it goes really well. But yes, I'll plug, you know, the, uh, the EP coming out. And um, that would be fantastic. Yes. But anyway, look, as we sit in darkness, take care. And thanks okay. a lot. See oh, yeah, I've got very dark, haven't I? Sorry. I, I, I couldn't put a light on, but I didn't think anyone anyway, doesn't matter. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. okay take care. You too. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye. And that, dear listener, is how you end the conversation. Or not. Anyway, I love leaving those last bits in. It will keep me amused in old age. All right. So a big thank you to Crispin Gray for giving me the time for that interview. If you want to find out any more information, you can go to the Bandcamp site, um, which I do believe I could just find it for you so you can go straight to it without too much hassle. Yes, it is. Um, if you type in, well... S-T-A-R-S-H-A-L-E-E -E, then dot bandcamp dot com. If you go to Crispin Gray's also, um, yes, Wikipedia page, you'll find out more information. It's all there. Anyway, go and check it out. He'll love it. And so will I. Uh, this has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, um, Facebook, Instagram. Twitter, just do C86 show. Keep it positive, please. Life's too short. And also, I've been doing all these interviews for long years and years. And you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, just do C86 show. Anyway, that's it. The end. Have a great week. Stay safe. <laughs>